Hello and welcome to the Sage Space. Hormones don't change in a vacuum. They change in response to environment, to relationship, to thoughts, to emotions, to feelings, to how we breathe. They change in response to everything. So honestly, we're all interested in hormones and it's a way to understand it, but I don't care at all about hormones in a way. I care about what's out of balance in life because when that goes in balance, our chemistry, including hormones, they find their balance. You know, they, they come into line with our experience. Post-cancer, I wanted to create a space to have conversations with the many creative people who offered up their knowledge and wisdom of how to move through this challenging time often practical, definitely insightful, and always infused with optimism, these conversations are a joy to share. As the designer Alan Moore says, the act of creating something of beauty is a way of bringing good into the world. Infused with optimism, it says simply, life is worthwhile. I loved this opening gambit from my guest today, Dr. Claudia Welsh. The extraordinarily well-renowned doctor in Western medicine, Ayurveda, and traditional Chinese medicine. If you pick up Dr. Claudia Welsh's brilliant book, Balance Your Hormones, Balance Your Life, with the expectation of finding a quick fix to-do list about hormone health, you may risk a bit of disappointment. Instead, Dr. Claudia hints at shifting our perception and long-held views on why hormones are so often blamed for poor health and disease, and the steps we can take to understand the causes and effects of our actions throughout the different stages of our lives. Throughout our conversation, Dr. Claudia gently suggests we commit to developing our internal awareness, our lifelong accumulated views about what we define as success in our lives, and even re-evaluating the company we keep. As she alludes to again and again, we can't separate the emotional from the physical body. So in essence, she says the title of her book should read, Balance Your Life, Balance Your Hormones. I really hope you can listen to the entire conversation, which meanders through many different terrains, but one I found absolutely fascinating. The first question I like to ask people um, Dr. Claudia, is how have you found space for yourself today or this morning, mm. as, as it is for you? Um, and is this something you do each morning? Well, what a great question. Um, well, I have a, a practice of meditating in the morning. And so I, I do do that every morning, knock on wood, <laughs> and that will continue and have for many, many years. So, um, so part, so partly that and, and, um, partly I just sit by the window and kind of watch the day come alive. So it's a really con contemplative sort of routine. It is, it is. And, you know, I admit that sometimes my brain is really busy at that time. And so it feels less contemplative than, trying to find a way to quiet it or, or waiting until the noise is over. And um, so it was a little bit of one of those mornings, but it goes up and down depending on environment and relationships and um, 
and how I've, it makes a difference how I've spent my day the day before, what I've been focusing on, what I've been thinking about. So in a sense, it's like the, that morning practice has to be this, um, as my guru used to call it, it has to become a ruling passion because for that to really settle in and nourish and be nourished the way that can happen in a, in, in a powerful and effective way for that to be all it can be what I eat the previous day what time I go to bed what I've been thinking about how I've treated people how I've been treated all of those things play into it and so I become aware every day in terms of oh how, how is this gonna affect the next morning and you it know it seems like the start it's the start of the day but it's also the result of the previous day yeah the, what you've digested from the previous day and what you haven't maybe yes and and, it, exactly. and, and is it a routine that you've or, or a ritual that you've developed over the years or is it something that um you came to very uh, suddenly well i i met my guru's guru when i was three years old and i remember him very clearly and um my tradition has that as part of its tradition is to is to wake up early in the morning and sit and um and then i met my guru when i was 8 and took initiation when i was 11 and and it was i didn't commit to anything when i was young and in my teenage years but but then i did and uh you know and i would go back and forth and i would do it when i could and so forth but youth was chaotic and <laughs> and there was a learning curve and there's still of course a learning curve but it's um it, it, other things can you know asana yoga like that physical yoga practice that can that that can drop away other things can drop away but the the meditation it that can't and God willing, <laughs> won't. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, since, since I started my meditation practice uh, six years ago, it's, it's, I say it's like brushing my teeth. <laughs> it's, um, yeah. it's just something. And, and, you know, I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't want anybody to feel intimidated by this. Oh God, you know, they meditate every morning because sometimes oh my god it's it would probably be more useful to watch a rerun of friends or something <laughs> because the mind is crazy and i can't sit still and the whole thing but you know so you know i've never I, oh my god if there were hidden cameras on me they'd be appalled <laughs> you know it's so it's it's not this it's it's not um it's not something to brag about for sure you know but it's something that I'm so grateful whenever I remember to think about it. I'm so grateful to have another chance, to have another opportunity to hit the pillows again, to try to stay awake again, sitting up to, to, to sit up, to try to sit up, to, you know, to, to try to focus. To, I'm so grateful for the opportunity. It feels like an, an enormous privilege. I heard about you, um, Dr. Claudia, when I when I first became interested in, in Ayurveda, and um, 
I found your book, Balance Your Hormones, Balance Your Life, which I recommend to everyone. Um, it's like, I think it should be sort of on the education curriculum for girls, whatever their age. Um, but when I read it, what it was really interesting. I was trying to think of a word to describe the book because like you tread, you, you know, that's quite a complex subject like hormones, which often we obviously know about but don't know very much about, but yet they're so prominent in our lives. And you talk about hormones from this kind of trifocal view of Western science, Ayurveda, traditional Chinese medicine. And you do it in a really compassionate way. Like there's no judgment in there. And it's a really refreshing because often you read books that talk about Ayurveda and they lambast Western science or Western science lambasts Eastern, Eastern traditions. But it, it's, it's a really compassionate, non-judgmental book that is full of wisdom. And I wondered how you managed to tread that mm. really kind of delicate path. Wow, that's really great to hear. Um, well, there's a, there's a few things. One is um, I wrote the book over 10 years. It took 10 years to write. And I'd been, you know, I started researching the book before there was internet. So I had this whole binder of articles from years and years from when I first started being interested in medicine or, um, yeah, you know, so it was a long, long process and everybody seems to have a piece of it, you know, and, um, it's, I think it's e easy, you know, so many people have said this and it's so true. The more you learn, the more you learn, you don't know. And, uh, that's definitely what happened that, you know, I, 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 I never feel like I know what somebody else should do. I mean, a hundred people could, I could treat a hundred people in my practice when I used to have a practice for headache the same way and it would work. That's no guarantee that the same thing will work for the 101st patient. Everybody is, is unique. And this is true no matter what medicine you're practicing. And so I don't know what's going to work for you. I am just going to synthesize things the best I can and say, let's look at this. And this is what makes sense to me and kind of let you draw your own experiences. And that's really important to me. In fact, in the bulk of the book, there's a part at the end of every chapter in part two that says, what should I do about X? And there's a list. But for the most part in the book, I, I'm never saying... Um, you should do this. If you have this, do this. You know, it's, these are the things, you know, if, if we're doing this, this is likely going to be the consequences and this is what we can look at. And I do use a lot of we language. And at one point, um, and the, my publisher was great and the editors were great and they let me write whatever I wanted to. But in one of the last editing parts, there's a, there's one editor who goes through and changes little typos and things like that. And she changed a lot of the we to you, like you, when you do this, you should do this and kind of language. <laughs> I said, I just can't do this. I'm sorry, but you have to go back and, and put it back to we language because 
Um, that's really important to me. You know, I, I don't know what you should do. I don't know that this is the, that, that I've come to the right conclusions. These are the conclusions that have become clear to me, but look with looking at these, these three different systems and, and life. And, and in terms of the three different systems criticizing each other, um, uh, they all three have so much to offer. And I do find myself looking at each system f over the years. I've looked, I look toward to each system for something a little different. Um, I don't look to them all for the same things. And so th th that, yeah, that's, the, I don't know anything. That's, that's why, that's why I can, you know, that's why it's important to me to, to write like that. Yeah. And I mean, because I think also, often when you're told to do something, you, you, you sort of switch off your, you have this sort of inbuilt, no, well, why, why should I do that? Well, how do I know that you know that, that that's going to work for me? And it's quite, um, a knee jerk reaction that I think you, one, one can have when one's told to do something. But um, gentle suggestion, um, giving examples, it works works so much better. I feel, and I, I found it very interesting how, you know, you, you you sort of set the tone with with what Western science says about hormones, and then you weave in what Eastern medicine suggests as well. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because um, in Eastern medicine, they never talk about hormones. They, they look at, they use different um, sort of models of reality to understand different aspects of reality. And so one model will work better for one aspect of reality and another model will work better for another one. But they don't talk specifically about hormones and Western medicine does. And in my experience, it's the only one that does in terms of the indigenous medicines the, that I've been exposed to. And that conversation is relatively recent. 1902 was the was the first hormone-like substance that was talked about. So it's relatively recent. And when I started trying to get my mind around it, because everybody would come in, all, women would come into my practice talking about hormones, saying, "Oh, my hormones are out of whack. I don't know what's going on with my hormones." And I, even after studying Chinese medicine and Ayurveda for a long time, I didn't feel confident that I understood what that meant from an Eastern perspective, but I trusted that if I understood it as much as I could from the Western perspective, that I'd be able to, that would be able to translate into Eastern, into one or the other of those Eastern models of reality. And so, you know, I sat down with all the, the material and it's, it's, vast and complicated and sometimes feels contradictory to to look at all the information the west has about hormones and and i so it was overwhelming and i for a long time months and months just really really putting my attention with it what is what are the patterns you know what what are the pat looking for the patterns because um, Eastern medicine is very good at that, at picking out patterns and the, then those fit into these certain models of reality. And it was, I've often described it as, you know, those, you know, those paintings that have some kind of repeated pattern on it. And you look at that and you're supposed to see a ship or something in there and you can't see it and you can't see it and you can't see it. And then finally you see it and you can't unsee it. 
And it was like that. I kept looking at all these pieces of hormones and then saw this very simple shape kind of come forward, this very simple model of reality. And then I couldn't unsee it. And so then I thought, oh, is it really this easy? And I went back and looked at things again. And they just consistently not only fit into that model of reality, but reinforced it. And then I worked with that with my patients. And it's a very simple model of reality. And w one of the th things that's that I've found true both in Chinese medicine and Ayurveda is the more complex that we treat with opposites, just like allopathic, just like Western medicine does. So if the system has some kind of problem with excess heat, you treat it with something cooling. Or if it's too dry, you treat it with something oily or lubricating and so forth. And, and I thought, well, you know, if you've got a very complicated situation, treat it with something simple. And that's been a very fundamental principle for me with patients, very complicated um, presentation, reduce it to the, the, the simplest um, response that I can. Because uh, if, I, if, if I respond to a complicated situation with a complicated treatment principle and protocol, it confuses the whole system even further. Whereas if just give a few simple things to do to to organize the the organism around a certain principle, then the organism kind of knows what to do. It, it gets it gets a, a relief like, oh, this is simple. I can wrap my head around this. And that was the way it was with hormones. It was such a complex body of information. And so to bring it down into a simple model of reality has been very helpful. I mean, perhaps you can explain why balancing your hormones is so crucial to kind of a, regaining full health, homeostasis, balance. Um, and I, I know, in, and, then, and then in the book, you, you um, try to condense these very quite complex concepts into you're referring to traditional Chinese medicine to the yin and the yang, the sex hormones and the stress hormones. Perhaps you can give a sort of taster of, 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 of why hormones are so crucial. I, I love this question. And it reminds me of when we were searching for the title of the book. And I wrote the whole inside of the book. I had this wonderful editor. She wrote the title. And she sent, she said, oh, I've got the title, Balance Your Hormones, Balance Your Life. What do you think? And I said, I love it, but it's backwards. It really should be balance your life, balance your hormones, because what it says the way it is, balance your hormones, balance your life, is it suggests that if you balance your hormones, your life will then balance. And what the whole book is saying is exactly the opposite. Forget about the hormones. If you balance your life, the hormones will follow. Hormones don't change in a vacuum. They change in response to environment, to relationship, to thoughts, to emotions, to feelings, to how we breathe. They change in response to everything. So honestly, we're all interested in hormones and it's a way to understand it. But I don't care at all about hormones in a way. I care about what's out of balance in life because... When that goes in balance, our chemistry, including hormones and any, you know, any of those messengers or 
activators or uh, or calming factors in the body they find their balance you know they they come into line with our experience and so I don't think it's important to try to balance your hormones. I think it's important to try to balance our lives and then our hormones will balance because for many reasons, but one just very practical reason is it's extraordinarily difficult to figure out if you were really taking that to an extreme and saying, oh, let's fix the hormones. Then we would take a blood test and a saliva test and whatever and look at the the levels of hormones in our blood at any time and try to fix fix that and one of the things that's true for everybody but so especially for women is that the natural amounts the natural relationship between hormones is changing all the time you know people equate women to being like the moon and we think of the full moon and all juicy but the moon is full one minute out of the month and the rest of the time it's waxing or it's waning or it's not there at all. It's always changing and, and our hormones are always changing. So trying to figure out what to do with the hormones at any particular moment is that's way beyond anything I've seen anybody be able to do. We can't really do that. And if we try to increase a hormone from a perspective of, of saying, oh, well, we should increase this because it's not in the normal range or we should decrease it because it's not in the normal range. We're not taking into account what that change is going to do to the other hormones. And we also, it is a shot in the dark trying to get that the right dosage of that hormone because it's always changing. So it's so so it's a that's 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 the idea i mean i that i I find that fascinating because and it's it it makes total sense i mean i think back to um you know i I, when i was diagnosed with breast cancer five five years ago and i think my life was i think i life was quite stressful um, I was living abroad with three little kids and we were moving from pillar to post, nomadic lives. And I think my life was was kind of just, and I think sort of emotionally particularly, I was all over the place. Um, and so ungrounded, so not knowing really which way to turn. And of course, then that manifested itself in obviously a disease. Um, so I can, I, I, and, and I think... Uh, these, these, the, the three pillars that you talk about of, of trying to kind of regain some kind of balance in life, it, then you say would have a knock-on effect in your hormonal balance. Yeah, yeah. And when you say, you know, emotionally I was all over the place, was the words you used, you, can, you can't, you know, what I found is you can't really separate the emotional body from the physical body because thought creates biology. So the second we go, we're, we're increasing these young hormones, these adrenaline and cortisol, these activating, stimulating, motivating hormones, and that those influences literally irrigate our tissues and our organs and our systems. And when that happens consistently, those tissues and organs and systems don't, don't get the balance that they need of 
the stimulating, motivating kind of influence from cortisol and adrenaline and other such motivating influences, it's not getting the balance of that with the nourishing, calming, grounding yin influences. So, you know, your experience of that, I unfortunately, that seems to be absolutely the rule, not the exception for what India talks about as being the second stage of life, the householder stage of life, roughly from 25 to 50, where you're acquiring house, spouse, uh, a PhD, an SUV, an HDTV, all the initials, right? You're, you're acquiring this, the stuff of life that makes us secure, or at least makes us feel secure. And that's an enormously busy part of life. And can can be um can be even more busy than it needs to be depending on i think what possesses us as an idea of success and uh, and value and all of those all of those things so it's an your experience is the experience of almost every woman that i've met in western societies where we're outspending our emotional, physical, financial, spiritual resources as a rule. That's not the exception. And that affects us. Yeah. And, and, and is that, is, is that um, symptomatic of the fact that we, particularly as women, have lost touch with our sort of intrinsic selves? And we've, we, 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 we no longer, we've lost touch with our bodies and we no longer know when things are slightly out of whack until they're really, really out of whack. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Do you, was that your experience? I mean, I think I thought, I think I, I had, I had feelings sort of that, that things weren't right, but I, but from a Western science point of view, the tests I had didn't show anything until it was very, very progressed. Um, I mean, I had, I had, I had things that I, felt weren't right, you know, 18 months before I was probably diagnosed. So I, I sort of had a feeling, um, and right. but it just didn't show up. And I didn't yeah. know who to go to. I had I had no no one who I knew about to send me to a, um, an Ayurvedic um, Vaidya or to a traditional Chinese medicine uh. practitioner. So um, I was kind of clawing around in the dark until it was a critical situation. Um, but it strikes me as, I, I feel sad that for so many people, it seems that we get to this really critical, critical um, point. And I wonder how, how we've got there and how we can sort of unravel that. Yeah, that's such a good question. Well, you know, I mentioned the four stages of life that they talk about in India and the second stage 25 to 50 being such a busy one ideally the first stage zero to 25 is a time where we should be learning how to navigate life and the laws of nature such that we that can sustain us through that very busy second stage of life and it's not a moral code it's not a dogmatic code it's not that we learn that for example, that drinking is bad and smoking is bad, don't do it. What we learn instead is ideally, these are the laws of nature. These, like if something is dry and hot and like a cigarette and you 
bring that into your lungs, then that's going to bring the drying, heating uh, qualities to your lungs. And it's going to change them in this way and the, the, the tissues in this way and this way and this way. And so that could, in certain situations, in small amounts, be a medicine. And in um, in these situations, it will be a poison. You know, these kind of things. Like, when do you want to dry out and heat up the lungs? There's might be a certain time and a place where you would do that for a short period of time. But if you do that for a long period of time, you're going to create inflammation and that's going to create this and that and so forth. And it does not to say that everybody has to learn everything about medicine, but if we learn the general idea of how nature works and how qualities work uh, in Sanskrit gunas, you know, how, how qualities affect us, external qualities affect us and how our internal qualities relate to that, then, then it's, then we understand the value of being aware of what's going on internally to be, um, as facile with looking and feeling and perceiving our internal terrain as we are judging our external terrain. And that, that commitment to internal awareness brings us into the second stage of life such that we're now habituated to at least part of the time look inward and assess our own or the condition of our own organism. And then when we get into that second stage of life and it starts amping up, we start being more aware than we otherwise would of those internal preclinical signs, things that, sh that show up before they show up on tests. So we start to see them if, we're, if we are in communication with our bodies. And so many of us, by the time we get into the second stage of life and through the second stage of life, forget about being in tune with our bodies. We're just in tune with our brains, what we want to do, what our goals are and so forth. And, and for certain sorts of natures of individuals, more ambitious type A kind of people, especially we forget everything about what's below the neck it's what's above the neck that's important and that's what we relate to and that's strong and so we feel like we're strong but the body might be a little bit more delicate than the mind but we don't identify with that we identify with the strength of our perception our goals our ambitions that's what's all important and we keep following that and the body starts throwing up these little flags and at first they're kind of subtle flags and we're like shut up shut up that's not important this is important like a little you know I think of it as like when you're a teenager and your little sibling is coming along you're like oh go away you know go, don't bother me right and we think of the body like that but the body ends up the, those flags become less and less subtle more and more intense and you know maybe for a while we can address it with over-the-counter supplements and so forth but after a while it off it often takes these particular the more ambitious of us uh, some kind of life or death experience to or close to death experience or severe illness to really be a wake-up call and say you're not listening to me and you have to listen to me you know and does this affect from what you've seen in your practice, I mean, I don't know if you see men as, as well, but I mean, th th this this really sort of living in your head and moving at 100 miles an hour, is, 
Does, does it have a detrimental effect on women more than men? Um, I, I think it does, but I also think that it is even too much for men, right? Because the reason that I think that is, is because of hormones, because of testosterone pr predominance in men and estrogen predominance in women. And I mean, you know, born, not gender identity, but born the 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 male physiology and this is broad there's exceptions but the male physiology has more of a natural affinity for action uh, testosterone is very action it's a very young experience estrogen is a very yin experience and so we're trying to step out of it's so the natural ability to sustain activity is uh, is is more um, inherent in men. Here's 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 a way that I've put it, that I feel there's some real truth in this. It's there certainly has been for me. See see what you think. And this is based on how hormones work. Um, there there were there were questions about how to look at testosterone that I didn't want to answer for a long time because I didn't know how to answer them. And then I finally got this insight, which leads to this, what I'm about to say. So in general, there's exceptions, but in general, I find, and there's a hormonal reason to believe that, that men arrive at rejuvenation through activity and women arrive at activity through rejuvenation. So let me give a couple of examples around that. Should I say it again? Say it one more time. Okay. So men arrive at rejuvenation through activity and women arrive at activity only through rejuvenation. So let's give an example. My husband and I, some close to 10 years ago, we were both teaching all over the world and the country for a year and a half and we were between states. We were moving from one state to another state and we were moving too much to find a landing spot for a while. So we had some of our stuff in some place and with our brother-in-law, my brother-in-law and some with my sister and some with my stepmother. And we were going all over the place and coordinating calendars. And I knew it was too much for me, but I couldn't, I couldn't change the direction of the ship right away because it had so much momentum. And so it was a very busy year and a half. And we finally landed and got the apartment where where uh, we landed and I just needed to lie on the couch I just needed to be quiet and lie on the couch and my husband was fried too it had been too much for both of us and what did he do he strapped on a helmet and lay down on face first and face down on a sled and would sled down the steepest thing he could find the fastest he could and and I and I had this little judgment, like if only he knew himself as well, you know, as I do. We're both tired. I know he's tired. He doesn't know himself well, you know, otherwise, because that would put me into panic attacks. That would, that was not what I needed. I needed to lie on the couch. But then I watched him come in and he was rejuvenated by his human bullet behavior. He was really rejuvenated by that. It would have put me, it would, you know, it would have put me under. And, 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 and I just realized I'm being judgmental about 
his physiology, thinking his physiology is the same as mine, and it just isn't. And for me to be pushed, if he had said he's been so supportive for me whenever I need to rest, I'm very fortunate in that regard, because sometimes because of that, that um, experience for men, they think, well, this, my woman, my wife, my, you know, this, this woman is, is, is lazy. She's, you know, why can't she do it? She'd just be, she'd be so much better. She, I can see she's tired, but she'd be so much happier if she just did what I did. And that's not true. And that creates tension in relationships, I've found a lot. So I realized, oh, I'm, I'm judging him. That's not what he needs. And he, you know, he's been very support, been very supportive for me. But for, for me and for women, because of this hormonal thing picture, it's, I do, I do want to come to activity, but I got a, I might have to lie on the couch for six months, you know, before that Phoenix rises from the flames and sa- and then there's this spark and says, Oh, now what, you know, what, what's next, but we need that rejuvenation. And it's this, it's the same, you know, it seems to be the same, uh, in many areas of, of life, but that's the underlying principle. I mean, that, 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 that resonates with me. I have three, three little boys. Um, between eight and 13 and they that they just need their way of relaxing is through movement yeah and that's where they get to as you say rejuvenate themselves is by herring from one place to the next and yeah I mean it's and sometimes I think do they not just want to sit down and just draw a picture do some painting but no, they just want to career here, there, and everywhere. And it is, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's, we're so different in so many ways like that. And, but it, but it's been, it, it really resonated your story with me because I think, I think there's so much truth to that. Yeah. And, and I, I think, I think it's, it is a generalization. And I do think that men, are, you know, because it's, it's sort of like gender identity, you know, there's totally male, totally female and, and then this identification somewhat that lies somewhere in between that. And it's the same, you know, with, with, um, male and female physiology, there's, and constitutions, there's constitutions that are just, um, more naturally active and some that are more delicate in some ways. And, and definitely I've known plenty of men who it's too active a world out here. It's too active a model, you know, and in terms of, you know, what affects, men versus women and how we're different and how this plays into reality the a very a very uh i would say universal as far as i've seen idea in eastern medicine is microcosm and macrocosm that the human is the microcosm of the macrocosm of the universe and so each of us are and if we look at what's happening on a global level with global warming and so forth, uh, and the utilization, the overutilization of natural resources without replenishment. It's the same. It's happening in men and women as as reflected in global climate change, global warming, and you know, warmth. That's a young, that's a young quality. So, so, so would you say that we're living in a world that's overly yang? That's overly absolutely. 
and that absolutely we, it's and that until it, the we whole sort of stand in our truth to say right we we what we need to take a bit of that softness that that kind of calmness that and yeah. really stand firm then we yeah we are going to replicate what is what is in the world around us exactly exactly you know we can see it with the sea temperatures rising and the temperatures rising and all that that's that's a global heating you know that's a that's the macrocosmic level of what's going on inside of us and i'm interested in um dr claudia in in your years of practice are there i mean has there been a huge proliferation in 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 kind of lifestyle diseases and and the 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 type of illness people are coming to see you with yeah, it's a good question. Well, first of all, I have to say I had a busy practice for 10 years, but then um, my teaching and writing and traveling picked up and I, because I was overextending myself by keeping them both going, I closed the practice. So that was about 10 years ago. So I, ha I don't have the same um, clinical uh, pool anymore to see, to see that in terms of what's changing. But I do, someone told me a few years back uh, of a Vaidya, a, a Ayurvedic physician in India, who puts out these, uh, com these herbal formulas uh, that he's used for a long time. And what they told me that's happened with him is he's had to continue to put more and more cooling and cold and antiviral herbs and so forth in his mixes. He has to increase the amount of those over the years because that's needed. And so that's what I would say is that there's more of that. And then the other thing just from what I can kind of see, you know, I, I left my practice in 2011, so it was 10 years ago. And at that point, face, social media, Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff was nothing like it is now. And the, the constant barrage and pulling of attention outward, it's doing nothing but increasing. And so I think that in general, heat is rising to a place where more mm, mm, we're needing to address inflammation all the time. Um, and also just the, the level of scattering in the attention and the prana that 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 is more than it ever has been before we thought it was bad before and it was but now it's now it's a huge huge degree so it brings us back to that morning meditation practice and how important that is and um and how our days set us up for that and and the commitment to internal awareness and saying oh okay i i see i i'm feeling i'm, I'm feeling my awareness kind of leave my ears and eyes and go out into the world and attach to all of these different ideas and sights and sounds and smells and and stimulus uh, objects of stimulation that stimulate us you know I'm feeling that and I feel the need to bring that back in so I think that's the most important thing and you know, in the classics of Ayurveda, they talk about epidemics and pandemics and so forth, and the the ingredients we need to have for those polluted air, polluted earth, polluted water, polluted mines, basically polluted times, they call it, which is polluted seasons, which is climate change. That's 
a way of talking about climate change and when all those ingredients are there it's ripe for pandemics and and then they say how do you manage that well you manage it with panchakarma you manage it with dinacharya these healthy daily routines you manage it with all these things that you know but one of the most important things is not even taking more herbs that are anti-inflammatory or taking more herbs that are building and grounding and nourishing but to be in good company, to be in company, trusting company. Um, my guru used to, he, he once answered, somebody said, what are we going to do about the calamities to come? And they this was like 30 years ago. And he said, well, governments will get stronger and people will become less trusting of each other. And so spend time, but trust each other and spend time with people who trust each other, who are trusting and so this is the same idea so the classics say you know have satsang have this um good com good company and that that can protect you if unless it's your destiny to die at that time it will protect you so that's it's a powerful thing i i love that in your book you we, we, you talk about uh, your guru saying that to you keep good company and and it, it it is. It's the most nourishing thing. It's and it's it's the thing that really kind of uh, resets you. It ca has that ability to reset, reset you if if you yeah. can. Would you mind, um, Dr. Claudia, Dr. Claudia, just giving these? Um, I mean, from a from a very practical point of view, for people listening who who perhaps this is an introduction into Ayurveda and to Eastern medicine um, and traditional Chinese medicine, just. The, the three, I mean, three guiding principles to sort of, to try practical guiding principles to get you back on track um, that you recommend. And you, I mean, I know you're hesitant to sort of recommend, but that you, you sort of talk about as guidelines for establishing a bit more balance in life. Yeah. Well, what I'll tell you, I'll make up three that, <laughs> that work for me that I feel are really important. One is one of the things we've been talking about, which is commit to internal awareness. There's so much inviting us to commit to external awareness, but it makes it all the more difficult and all the more important to commit to internal awareness. You know, scan, maybe, you know, once a day, just kind of scanning the body and saying, do I feel hot? Do I feel cold? Do I feel scattered? Do I feel grounded? What, what do I feel? And we can use the opposite qualities of what we're feeling that's out of balance to bring us back into balance. So if I feel scattered, I know, okay, it's time to bring attention inward and ground it. So that's that internal awareness and using opposites as medicine. Those are two things. And then just a simple thing is is breath and uh, um, on my website there's there's four uh, visualizations tracks and if anybody listening to this doesn't have the money to to get those just let us know and we'll set you up with a coupon to get them if there's there like once you have breathing breathing techniques and really the breathing techniques are not about the breath they're about the prana the focus and helping us bring that back in and helping us balance the the those yin and yang energies so specifically alternate nostril breathing 10 or 15 minutes gentle every day is very helpful but any kind of 
breathing, prana, visualization that brings us into our beings. That's extremely helpful for, for hormonal balance, for mental equilibrium and by now we all get that those are totally related they're the same thing <laughs> you know so that that equilibrium so so awareness treat with opposites and um breath visualization work those are three tools that are useful uh, uh, really great introductions and i think um once you start to incorporate then you wonder why you've never done that before <laughs> i, th I yeah. think they can make a huge and, and it's strange because um, I I started, I, I sort of was doing self-massage, self-abhyanga, and then I stopped for a bit and I came back to it and I was driving my kids to school the other day and I thought, why do I just feel a bit sort of, things just seem to wash off me a bit. And I and I think I added that for the last couple of weeks I'd been doing this, the abhyanga most days and it really had grounded me a lot and I, w I was very surprised to yeah. notice that. Oh, it's incredible. It's incredible. I, you know, I think I might t tell this story in the book, but um, there, there's a, there's a particular person I always have in mind with this, but it's just because her story sticks in my head, but there's hundreds, if not thousands of these stories that I've seen where um, when a woman is going through challenging times in her life, either hormonal transitions or, or life transitions or something going on, if she, uh, she, you know, if she eats whole foods and has a nice daily routine that works for a while, but she gets into more stress and then maybe she'll take um, an herbal formula or something that doesn't work anymore. Try a bhyanga. That's amazing. That balances it. And when, when that isn't even enough, then, then adding the alternate nostril breathing changes the story. So it's, super powerful abhyanga and, and alternate nostril breathing are two of the most powerful tools that i know for that mental equilibrium and you know it's just and it's the kind of thing it especially with nadi shodhana with the alternate nostril breathing it's free there's nothing you you know it's the, it's nothing you have to buy there's nothing you have to digest so many of us have digestion issues right it's nothing you have to digest you can do it without your hands while you're driving your kids to school just by visualizing the, the, a pattern, which is what I do in my visualization. I really like that. And I, I like not using the hands sometimes. However, there's many times where I'm slumped over reading the the, the New York Times headlines doing, doing Naughty Shodana with the fingers in a totally horrible, with a horrible... <laughs> posture and position and it still works so it's very effective but it you have to do it every day because I find that it doesn't have the abhyanga has a bit of a cumulative effect but the nadi shodhana seems to ha, you have to do it every day for it to really you really start to see the uh the effects not only you you there is a cumulative effect but you, you have to do it every day for that to happen. I, I mean, this has been so fascinating. I've, I've been very reticent and to ask you about, um, about food and nutrition because one of the things that you make really clear um, when you talk about food and diet is that one man's um, medicine is another man's poison. So I've, and, and, and in this podcast, um, people have asked me, why can't you interview someone about what foods I should eat? And, 
and I find it's a minefield and it's so it's such a personal thing to to each person and I don't think it's something that can be sort of dictated or told you should eat this and not this so so food is something I, I sort of haven't really um, really asked you about and that that's kind of why I really appreciate that actually because what happens that I've seen over and over is we get ourselves into quite a pickle in life because of our overdrive thing in usually that's the big problem right um so the overdrive leads to all kinds of problems one here's one just really i just have to say this right one of the things that cortisol and adrenaline do is they they allocate our vital resources prana and blood and nourishment to our extremities, to our quads, so that we and and our uh, to our quads and our biceps, so that we can fight or flight, and um, that's really powerful because what that is doing is it's robbing our vital organs, like our digestive system, of those vital resources and shunting them to our extremities. So we're actually living in our extremities instead of in our core, and when that happens that's we we it doesn't matter what we eat we can't digest anything because when that happens chronically the digestive system tissues and organs become chronically robbed of nutrition and um and the waste isn't isn't adequately removed and it doesn't matter if we're eating elixir served with uh, you know by by angels beautifully <laughs> beautiful hearted human beings angels right it doesn't matter we can't digest it and so then that what happens that goes on and on people are getting headaches people are getting digestive problems and so forth and then so often it is so tempting to put it all on food well okay well if i do this ayurvedic diet you know i'm a pitta predominant individual i'll eat pitta reducing food it's still you're still eating under stress you're still robbing your digestive it's not going to work. And then people say, oh, Ayurveda doesn't work. But it's that we're focusing on food as the savior. And it isn't the savior because it isn't the cause of the problem. It's not to say it's not important. I think the important things is eat whole foods. You know, I kind of, people ask what my favorite book is on food and a favorite Ayurvedic book. And my favorite Ayurvedic book on food isn't, doesn't have the word Ayurveda in it. It's Michael Pollan's In Defense of Food. And it's a little book, and it's how we got to this unnatural diet that we're in. And he basically condenses it to, to eat food, not too much, mostly plants. <laughs> I think that's, that's how he reduces it. And so whole foods, mostly f freshly cooked, that tends to work uh, across the board. There's going to be differences between, for people, but in general, it's not the thing to focus yeah, on. And, and I think that's... It's interesting how that um, that quote from Michael Pollan just sticks in your brain, and it, and yeah. it's not a bad one to kind of have up there to sort of slightly live by if you can. Yeah, around. yeah, and it's not you know it it is important. Food is important. We're putting it in our bodies three times a day, but it it isn't it isn't going to change the reason why we have stress chronic stress which is causing chronic illness in our systems food isn't going to fix that changing 
the belief system at the core, like, okay, I'm, I'm driving myself too hard. That's the root of the problem. Okay. What, why? Like, what, what do I believe that's making me do this? So then that's the root of, that's the cause of the cause, you know? So we were looking deeper, the cause of the cause of the cause. Okay. And, and it's deeper and deeper into our own belief system and possession. What are we possessed by? What, what idea are we possessed by that we is making us live the way we're living? If we want to be living this way, great. But if we're living a life we don't want to be living, that even even if that doesn't feel like what we think stress feels like even if it just feels like a little bit in the back of our mind like ah oh, i i feel trapped in my life is is this really the life i need to be living that is stress that's increasing cortisol that's increasing this little drip this little iv drip of influence that is irrigating our tissues and organs all the time and so that is a super scary thing am i living the life i want to be living it shouldn't maybe we could say it shouldn't be but it is and it's so bizarre that it doesn't take courage to keep doing that that takes this overblown sense of responsibility it takes so much courage to start living the lives we want to live and I think that there's a tremendous amount of fear that if we do that every, our lives are going to fall apart and I think that they what from what I've seen is that they do fall apart but only the parts that we didn't want to begin with and it just gets better and we feel better and I leave room for possibility that somebody would hear this and stop doing something they didn't want to do and their life falls apart in a bad way but i've never seen that happen maybe that will happen but i've never seen it i've seen i've seen us gain a little courage by taking a little step by saying i'm not doing this anymore this thing that i hate this thing that i feel like i'm being punished by every time i do i'm not doing it anymore the medicine of subtraction i'm going to take this away and see what's left. I'm going to have the courage to say no to this and see what's left. And that for me has just given me an enormous amount of experience of how that work, how that works and how life doesn't fall apart. It gets better. And more and more what my relationship to that is. So like, Do, do I decide what I want next and do that and then see how things change? Or do I just get rid of the things I don't want to do and see how that changes? So I start to also have an awareness of my will versus getting my will out of the way. And, and so then we're working on this really subtle level of the cause of the cause of the cause of the cause. And I find it makes life more interesting as well as healthier. Yeah. I mean, it, it gives me a bit of a, a kind of sh shiver hearing you say that because it's it's that it's leave it, it's 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 finding that little seed of possibility that is that is there if we can kind of just get rid of all that stuff that that we don't like. 
Yeah. But we have to own up to the fact we don't like it. And that's that's probably the hard part, hard part. I love the word that you used, and I know we're quite over time here. Um, yes, but so, um, yes. but I but I love that word that you used, possibility, because I had this I had this um, issue that was in my head for a while that I was wondering about, which may sound weird, but I'll come back to the possibility thing through this. But I was thinking, what is the difference between the gods and the goddesses? You know, and the gods and the goddesses on one hand, and the demons and negative entities on the other hand. What is the difference between that? And I was looking at this from the point of view of of Hinduism and of Jyotish and what planets are considered good versus bad and how you're supposed to appease the bad ones and how you're supposed to get the good stuff from the good ones. And I just found with the gods and the goddesses and the, and the demons and the planets, whether they were good or bad, that they were all saying, basically, if you, if you appease, if you appease me and do prayer to me and uh, give me the things that I like, I'll make your life really nice. And if you don't, I'll make your life really miserable. And I thought, well, if they're all doing that, what's the difference between the good guys and the bad guys? And it was just this question in my in my head. And, and I was supposed to be talking on the planets at this conference some six, five, six years ago. So it was in my head. And I, um, I arrived at the place I was supposed to be talking about this stuff and, and went to went to my room. And within the first day of being there, um, one of the other people who was was in this place we were staying he said oh i like this book you want to see this book and it was my gita by, uh, by i forget the author's name and i opened to this page that said the you know about i think krishna talking about w what what the difference is between the gods and the goddesses uh, the gods and the goddesses and the and the and the bad guys the rakshasas the demons and so forth and what he said, and at least this was the trans, this was the interpretation of the author, was that the difference is the good guys can see the possibility beyond the measurable. Uh, so when you say, po use the word possibility, it's this, to me, seeing the possibility is this subtle difference between a benign headspace and a negative headspace is, oh, there's, there's something there's some possibility here that I may not see, but I can feel, I can sense, I can perceive that there's some possibility here. I trust that there's some possibility here. Even if that possibility is coming from a space that feels empty or questionable, you know, like there's times in my life where I've used the medicine of subtraction, got taken, had taken the courage to, to move a lot away and have space. And at those times I would think, oh, the clouds will part and the Bible rays will come down and grace will flow. And sometimes yes, but sometimes there's just been this emptiness. But so I found that I really trust that emptiness. I trust the possibility present within that emptiness. And that's what I stay with 
and then that it does transform it isn't emptiness isn't empty of prana you know prana isn't an a feeling of prana doesn't feel empty it feels full you know so anyway i, I love that it's it's it, yeah it's it's powerful that that feeling of it's it's it can be powerful and i think that's what i what i sort of try to to return to um i know i'm i'm, I'm running over time please may i ask you just a couple more very quick sure. questions uh, Dr. Claudia, the, sound, the sagest piece of advice you have received? Um, well, it's real toss-up, but I'm going to have to say, I mean, I've had some, I've been fortunate enough to have some incredible advice in my life and wisdom. But here's the one that has... It, for example, keep good company. Good company makes a man great. That was really important. But I would say that one of the most important pieces, if not the most important piece, is don't become anything. Yeah, speak volumes. And the sagest piece of advice you would offer to listeners yourself? Well, again, I don't like to offer advice. <laughs> um, but what I can do is share that um, it goes back to, you know, you asked what three things to, to work with. And I would say that um, developing that internal awareness, turning the attention inside is very helpful, has been for me. And um, a book that's really helped you and one you'd recommend to listeners? Those are the last questions. Okay. <laughs> um, well, the book that comes to mind that has helped me enormously um, may not have the same effect on others, and I'm not sure where you could get it. It's, but um, you might still be, I, you could probably get it. It's called Spiritual Gems. And um, the author is probably listed as Sawan Singh, S-A-W-A-N, Singh, S-I-N-G-H. <clears throat> That's been very helpful to me. Um, a book to recommend to others. Well, I already did, In Defense of Food. <laughs> Let's, so we could... I mean, there's plenty of amazing books, but since we already talked about that one, and let's not overload ourselves... <laughs> That one's a good one. Perfect. Um, Claudia, thank you so much for your time. I've it's been I could talk to you for hours, but thank you for thank you for giving up some time to speak to me. It's been a real pleasure. I, I, I've so appreciated it. I've really appreciated it. So many times um, and this is very helpful too, but people want a, an overview of the hormones, but that's in the book and that's plenty of places on my website you can get some of that and and I really appreciated that the conversation went into interesting nooks and crannies today and that you went after that thank you thank you for indulging me <laughs> I, I loved it love that thanks everybody who's listening thank you for listening and thank you Dr. Claudia Welsh to delve into Claudia's work or to book a place on one of her courses on Ayurveda or hormone health head to her website, which you'll find in the show notes. 
As you've just heard, she holds such a wealth of information, it's definitely worth tapping into this. Incredibly, this is the penultimate episode in this first series of The Sage Space. Inevitably, as is life's way, the podcast has evolved into the genre of slow podcasting, with episodes appearing pretty randomly throughout this past year. But I'm thrilled to have just one more guest in this series. Stay tuned. Thank you very much for listening.